You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This morning, we're going to have a chance to see another character in the Word of God. One of the great things about the text where we find ourselves this morning is that as David has been on the run for his life, we have seen week after week a parade of characters come across our vision. And today is no different. We'll present another character this morning that we have seen or are seeing in the life of David. And I think for most of us growing up in Sunday school and hearing all the stories from Sunday school hour and junior church, uh, there are some characters that we just... We resonate with, we know them, we enjoy them. And I think that'll be the case this morning for all of us as we talk about the character, the great Bible character that we're all accustomed with, Ahithophel. Right, Ahithophel. You know Ahithophel. You you must have maybe missed that Bible character study. For those who don't know Ahithophel... Ahithophel was the most ablest politician in his entire generation. Ahithophel was the great counselor in Jerusalem to David. The fact is, during his day, if you wanted to know anything, if you wanted to know what the trend was, where we were going to to gaze into the future on where this was going to end, you would go to Ahithophel, David's counselor in Jerusalem. His counsel uh, was given a proverb, it was so good, in Israel, that they would say of Ahithophel, his words, what he says, it's like it comes from the very presence of God. When Ahithophel spoke, people listened. They listened. He was faithful, he was loyal, he was David's counselor. They enjoyed an intimate friendship. Psalm 55 this morning, there's a text here, and and many scholars believe that this psalm is written about Ahithophel. Let me read for you verse number 13 and 14. It says, David speaking, But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. And David talks about Ahithophel, and he paints this picture that here is a man who is not only my counselor, my friend, mine acquaintance. We've had sweet counsel together, long talks, deep talks. We were such good friends that we would go into the house of God together and to worship. Ahithophel was a faithful, loyal Counselor. Not only that, his faithfulness to David trickled down to his family. In 2 Samuel 23, 34, this is a list of David's mighty men. These are men that their hearts were knit to David, they were faithful to David, they were loyal to David, they would lay their lives on the line for David. And at the end of verse 34 it says, Out of all of these men, here is Eliam the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. And so here is Ahithophel, faithful, loyal to David, and now his son, Eliam, 
It's a nice name, isn't it? Eliam, like Eli, beautiful name. Remember the name Eliam. It'll be important in a few moments. But here is his son now, who's as faithful to David as Ahithophel. It's actually quite impressive. This counselor, this friend, sweet company, Ahithophel, his son Eliab. But something changes. We want to run through that this morning. Our text in 2 Samuel chapter 15 begins to show that some things are unraveling. Verse number 12 of chapter 15 says, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo. And so already we see that Ahithophel is no longer in Jerusalem. He was David's counselor. They had sweet communion with one another. But now he's gone home. He's in his hometown now. He's no longer in Jerusalem. And the verse continues to tell us that he was offering sacrifices and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. This is Absalom, David's son, now is conspired against his father. And what he does is he calls for Ahithophel, who is no longer in Jerusalem, to be part of the conspiracy. It gets worse. Follow down to verse number 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David's aware. This man is brilliant. His counsel is like the word of God. And now he's conspired against me. God, turn this counsel into foolishness. And now we'll watch um, this hatred and outpouring of Ahithophel. Look at chapter 16 and follow it down to verse number 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And in this story now, David has fled. He's left his harem there. He's left the city. Absalom has come in. The, the treachery has begun, and so the first thing he says is, okay, Ahithophel, my counselor now. What's the first thing we ought to do? Verse 21, And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with you be strong. So then spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Ahithophel is no longer in Jerusalem. He now is in the conspiracy with Absalom. Absalom says, what's the first thing we should do? And here's what Ahithophel says. Humiliate your father. Let the whole country see that you abhor him, you hate him, he hates you. Humiliate David in front of everyone. Doesn't sound like sweet company anymore. Doesn't sound like faithful friendship anymore. It doesn't sound like they're going to church together on Sunday anymore. And it gets worse. Chapter 17, verse 1. 
Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with me shall flee, and I will smite the king only. This has escalated, escalated quickly, has it not? Ahithophel, we don't know that he was a military man at all, but what he says is this, Absalom, after you humiliate your father, let me take 12,000 men, I will hunt him down in whatever hole he is in, and when I find him, I will kill him. I'll kill him. I will be the instrument of his demise. Now, how in the world do we get here with a man who took sweet counsel with David, who were friends, who, who went and worshipped together, who was so faithful that his son Eliab was one of the mighty men of David, and now he's a traitor, a backstabbing, double-crossing, dirty dog traitor. How do we get here? Before we have a hate session on Ahithophel, it might be wise to look at all of Scripture and get a more full picture this morning. And I think there's one verse that may help us understand how we get from sweet counsel together to a bitter hatred of David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll just go back a few chapters. And I think one verse should suffice this morning in understanding a little better. Verse number three. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba? You know the story. We've been here. You've read this. But maybe we miss this next phrase. Is not this Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam. I know we have short attention spans in our world today, but does the name Eliam sound vaguely familiar? I hope so. We just said it three minutes ago. Okay. Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Eliam, one of David's mighty men. A man who put his life on the line for David, not only him, but Uriah the Hittite, the same man mentioned in that great section of the heroes of David. Eliam is the father of Bathsheba, which makes Ahithophel the grandfather of Bathsheba. Do you wonder why now Ahithophel cannot stand David? Why he hates David? Why he has volunteered to hunt him down and take his life? This is not something that just came to him. David didn't withhold anything that David desired from his heart, even the wife of one of his mighty men and the granddaughter of his most faithful counselor. Not only did David take the little lamb from Uriah the Hittite. But he took the little lamb from Eliam, his daughter, and he took the little lamb from Ahithophel, 
Bathsheba was his granddaughter. And David has inflicted great harm and injustice and pain to this entire family. And now it's no wonder why Ahithophel is no longer going to church with David. It's no wonder why he wants to humiliate David. It's no wonder why he tells Absalom, this is what we need to do. Ahithophel has been hurt, has been injured, has been damaged by David and his actions. And certainly this morning, knowing that, can we not understand? I can. What if it was your granddaughter? What, it was, what if it was the wife of your son? What if someone took her and killed her husband? Certainly in the story, we can understand why this has transpired. And certainly in our lives, we all understand the dynamics of hatred, injustice, and bitterness. I'm certain this morning that as you sit here, as I stand here, we have all been hurt. Have we not? Certainly someone hurt you. Certainly someone injured you. Certainly someone said or did something unkind to you. Certainly somebody in your life humiliated you. Certainly someone was unkind to you. Certainly someone in the course of your life has devastated you. Whether it be a parent, a child, a friend, a believer. And it cut deep. Deep. And whether it was a man or a woman or a friend or for some of you this morning, God. You feel injustice. And you feel like you've been wrong. And you feel like you have been harmed. And within your heart and within my heart this morning, when we go through those things, it's natural for us to be bitter and resentful and to long for justice for our cause. Whether real or perceived, intentional or unintentional. We, we have been there. Ahithophel is not an enigma to us. We understand this this morning. And this morning, I'm not trying to make Ahithophel a vigil anti-hero. That's not what I'm trying to do. Nor am I trying this morning to minimize your pain, your suffering, your betrayal, your hurt, how someone devastated your life. I know it happens, and I know it hurts. And can I tell you, it happens to all of us. And can I tell you, it will happen again. Can I tell you, we live in a broken world where it happens all the time. And my plan this morning is to talk not so much about Ahithophel, but I want you to see where this bitterness ends for Ahithophel and where bitterness ends for us. Because this is not the end of the story for Ahithophel. We hear his name again, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. Look, if you would, with me down to verse number 23. Ahithophel's counsel now has not been accepted. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. 
His plan was great. His plan actually would have worked. God stepped in and intervened for David's sake. But he finds out now that no one's going to follow what he said, that David will not have to pay, as far as he's concerned, for the injustice. And so in verse 23, And when Hithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he settled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. The end of the story. All the hatred, all the sense of injustice, all the longing for revenge, it doesn't happen as he thought it should happen. And so this bitterness ultimately destroys the life of Ahithophel. And listen to me this morning. I want you to know something. Bitterness will always destroy everyone's life who harbors it in their hearts. Always. And so, the title of the message is, A Bitter Pill to Swallow. The truth is, bitterness is a fatal pill to swallow. And this morning, if we don't acknowledge and deal with it, it will destroy our lives. The New Testament helps us with this. Turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. The Bible has much to say about bitterness. Because the Bible understands human nature. It understands injustice. It understands sin better than we like to believe. And it tells us the end from the beginning that bitterness will certainly destroy those who feed it. Hebrews chapter 12. Look with me if you would. Verse number 14 this morning. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I don't know why you're here this morning, but let me help you. For every believer here this morning that you know Christ, you know your sins are forgiven, you know that Christ is your Savior, God is your Father, you've been reconciled, you've been born again. There should be something in all of us this morning that our desire is we want to see the Lord. And not just, I had this vision of a 900-foot Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I want to see him. I want to know him. I want him to be pleased with me. I want to fellowship with him. I want this to be real and intimate, this relationship. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, follow peace with all men and holiness, because without these things, you will not see the Lord. When we come here on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whenever we gather, the main attraction is him. you understand that? And we should come with a desire to know him. And the writer says, if you're going to know him and see him, you must follow peace with all men and holiness. And then he goes down in the next verse, and he says this. If that's going to happen, we must look diligently, diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
And the writer says something very interesting here. He says, listen, you better be diligent because if we're not, we will fail of grace. We will no longer dispense grace. We will forget about grace when this root of bitterness takes control of our hearts and lives. And it's, he calls it a root. It grows downward, deeper and deeper and deeper into our heart. It becomes systemic. That now, that hurt, that pain, that injustice, that wrong, perceived or otherwise, it's there, and now all I do is think about it. It has, it has worked its way into every fiber of my being, and all I ever think about is that person, that event, it destroyed me, it ruined me, it hurt me, it harmed me. How could they have done that to me? But not only does it grow downward, it says it bears fruit that grows upward. Because what it, when it gets into our heart, it's all about the heart. The heart always bears fruit. And so now, you're the kind of person that whenever that name is mentioned, ah. Uh, Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about her. Let me tell you how they really are. Let me tell you how they hurt me. You think they're good. Uh, They're not good. I got a list. I got pictures. I got recordings. I got it all. It bears fruit. And it colors everything about us. It affects you. It affects your spouse. It affects your children, it affects your friends, it affects the church, it affects everyone. It's bitterness. And you know it, and I know it, and it's there. And so the question this morning is this, with this root that grows downward, that bears fruit, how long are you going to hate your parents? How long are you going to hate that kid for what they put you through? How long are you going to hate that person and despise that person who harmed you? How long? How long are you going to be mad at someone sitting in church because they said or did something that made you feel cheap and worthless and without value? How long? It is destroying you. It is damaging the witness of Christ. And it is poisoning those around you. It's bitterness. It's bitterness. And with any sin and every sin, the problem ultimately ultimately comes to the problem with the heart. And this morning, if you're here, like me, and you can identify bitterness in your heart and life, then you have an area, at least three, that you don't really believe. And so this morning, I want to talk about what we don't believe when we allow bitterness to find its way deep into our hearts and to bear fruit as ugly, nasty, and poisons everyone around us. Here's the first thing we don't believe. We don't believe the words of Jesus. When you and I harbor and feed and coddle bitterness within, what we're saying is we do not believe the words of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. When I say the words of Christ, here's what I mean. These are the words of Christ. Okay, Genesis to Revelation, he is the living word, this is the written word. I was just thinking the other day how anemic we are as believers. We read everything, we go everywhere, we have conferences, we have meetings, we have all these things, and we fill our heads, and no one is doing what Jesus said. 
And if we would stop and pick up our Bible and read what he said and do one thing, it would change us. It would profoundly change us. Listen to what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 30. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Christian, this should mean something to you because the Holy Spirit on your conversion was given to you to dwell within you and to seal you unto the day of redemption. Everywhere you go, what you say, what you do, what you think, how you process, the Spirit of God lives within every one of us. And Paul says, hey, don't grieve him. Which reminds us the Spirit is not an it or a force. He's a person. You can be grieved. And so then he says, don't do that. Don't grieve him. Now look how we grieve the Spirit of God. The very next verse, you don't have to make anything up. Verse 31, the very first thing he says is, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And what I'm telling you this morning is, you've got a problem this morning that you've been letting fester in your heart for days, for weeks, for months, and years Years. Listen, I know dysfunction. I've been pastoring for 15 years. I know dysfunction. I was born in a family of dysfunction to where after 20 years, they still can't go to funerals together because someone's going to fight about something because they're bitter toward one another. And he says, the words of Christ now through Paul, get rid of it. The idea of putting away means a clean sweep. It has the idea of like, I'm taking this bitterness. I don't want it. Throw it away. I understand. It is destroying me from the inside out. Listen to the words of Christ. This morning, if you are still bitter, I'm telling you, you do not believe the words of Jesus Christ because if you did, this would be a problem for you. Number two. You not only don't believe the words of Christ, you don't believe the wonder of forgiveness. It, it's funny. We think of forgiveness as, I'm just off the hook. Woo! Yeah, sweetheart, I had a burger on my way home. I knew you said we were having dinner. I confess. Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. Woo! I'm off the hook. We think that with God. As if somehow forgiveness is just getting off the hook. My friend, that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is staggeringly beautiful and unspeakably glorious. And when we are bitter, what we are saying is, I don't believe in in the magnitude of what forgiveness is. Listen how powerful forgiveness is. In the book of Jeremiah, I think it's 31, 34. I'm not sure. But it's where the Lord says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And so people say, well, look it. When we sin and confess it, God sort of just magically, he forgets it. Can I tell you something? Do you really think the God of heaven doesn't remember what you did yesterday? Or last week or last year? Forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, I just divinely forgot. Forgiveness means I consciously choose not to hold that against you anymore. And that's powerful. 
And God says, while you were sinners, Christ died for you. You repent, I forgive you. And now in your sinfulness, I choose not to hold that against you anymore. I forgive you. And when I can't forgive others, I don't believe in the glorious power of forgiveness first in my own life. We are so arrogant and self-righteous that once we're saved, we act as if, I got it covered, man. Yeah, those sinners out there. No, let's talk about the sinners in here and understand that you have been forgiven a debt you could never pay. And the one who paid it owed nothing. Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, paid your debt and forgave all of your sins. Past, present, future, it's covered by the blood. And it's glorious. And we should, because it's glorious. That's forgiveness. And when we harbor this hatred for that event and that person and that injustice in our life, what we're saying is, Jesus, I don't believe your word, and Jesus, I don't believe the wonder of forgiveness. Christian, we're in trouble on this. Remember Matthew 18, and Peter says, Lord, you know, should I forgive this guy seven times? I mean, because that's outrageous, seven times. And Jesus is so radical, he says, no, not seven times, Peter. Seventy times seven. And, and, and it's not 490 times and I'm good. It's like, no. You keep on forgiving. And then he tells this terrifying story. It's terrifying. Here's a guy who owes a billion dollars, billions of dollars, could never pay. And the judge, the Lord gets him and says, you need to pay this debt. And he pleads and he cries and says, forgive me, I can't do it. And the gracious Lord says, I forgive you your debt. Could you imagine? Then he goes out and finds the guy who owes him 20 bucks. And takes him by the throat and says, pay me everything you owe me. And the guy says the same spiel, forgive me, I'll, I don't, I'll do whatever I can. And he, he, he sends him to the prison and to the tortures. And when the Lord of that servant finds out, he says, you wicked servant. Cast him, and it's talking about torture, I mean, cast him out. And the point is, forgiven people must forgive. What we do is we don't believe in the wonder of forgiveness. The third thing we don't believe is in God's justice, that God's justice will prevail. We do suffer injustice. We do. You have been lied to. Someone stole from you. Someone cheated you. Someone was unfaithful to you. Someone let you down. Someone rejected you. Someone disappointed you. Someone made fun of you. Someone mocked you. I mean, is there anyone here that, that that hasn't happened to? If not, let me be the first to do it for you then. All right? It's happened to all of us. And the fact is, it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. And, and maybe that person deserves justice. You may be right. But when we live our lives and the only thing I think about is how I'm going to expose them and how I'm going to humiliate them and how I hate them and how they're toxic and, I, and it goes on and on and on, what I'm saying is I really don't believe that the God of heaven is just and he will do right. I've got to be the one to take 12,000 men and stick Dave in the heart. 
That's my job. And God says, no, it's not your job at all. We dwell too much on injustice, and we don't believe that God will act. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, what the Apostle Paul says, Dear the beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith Rick. You wish it said, no, you don't wish, I wish it said that. You wish you could insert your name there. You can't. Can I tell you something? Vengeance is not your job. Nor mine. And do you know something? God sees more clearly than you will ever see. And God hates sin more deeply than you could ever understand. And God, the God of the whole earth, will do right. He'll do right. I don't doubt this morning that many folks here have been hurt and abused and maligned, and the list goes on. But can I tell you something? There's not a person in this room who has been more maligned or more abused than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. Not, not one. I, I, it's tragic as your story may be, and there are tragic stories. I understand that. I'm not minimizing that. But here is a sinless, spotless Lamb of God who was truly innocent. He was falsely accused. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was beaten in the head. He was punched in the face. His beard was ripped out. He was scourged on his back to where it looked like raw meat. You could see his organs. As blood poured out of him, a crown of thorns put on his head, patted down, beaten with rods over the head, hung on a cross, the most excruciating death imaginable, and he was innocent. Innocent. Completely, not like you and I when we think we're innocent. We're, we're not innocent. We say and do evil things all the time, and if our heart was exposed, it would be nasty. But not him. And look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Peter says this about the Lord. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. That judges righteously. And here's the truth of the matter. Jesus, who was innocent, suffered terrible, terrible abuse. And yet he said, Father, I'm going to leave this with you. And he did. Because he understood that God's justice is perfect. Listen, just be honest this morning. Whether you're the bitter person or not today, whether it's you, me, or somebody else, you know that bitterness is ugly. It's ugly. We've seen it operate in our own lives. We've seen it operate in the lives of other people. It is ugly. Why? Because the root goes down, it bears bitter, ugly fruit. But can I tell you something that's beautiful? What's beautiful is the heart of the believer who has suffered injustice, who has been maligned, who was treated unfairly, and yet they believe the words of the Lord, they believe the wonder of forgiveness, and they believe that God will really judge and make things right. And there's a beauty in the individual who says, yes, I was wrong. Yes, that's unfair. Yes, it crushed and devastated me. But I'm going to believe the words of Christ. I'm going to believe the one of forgiveness. I'm going to believe that God will reward justly in the end. There's a documentary out now 
It's called the, An Unreal Dream. It's a story of Michael Morton. And in 1986, Michael Morton, who had a wife and a young son, probably three years old, a young son with heart issues. I mean, surgeries all the time. And finally, I think it was the day before his birthday, he and his wife and son who had his last surgery were swinging on a swing in Texas, fresh air, and he thought to himself, finally, this is what life is about. This is what we've been waiting for. My son is healthy. It's my birthday. Life is good. Michael went to work that evening. That night, his wife was brutally murdered in their home. And a year later, he was convicted of her murder. Completely innocent. So here's a man who lost his wife and eventually lost his son because after years of staying with her side of the family, said, you know what, I really can't visit you anymore in prison. He got a life sentence in Texas prison. I can't do it anymore, Dad. Lost his wife, lost his son. And come to find out that the lead prosecutor in that case, Ken Anderson, withheld information to the defense that would have completely released Michael Morton from prison. Would have never even been charged had the prosecutor given that information to the defense. They never got it. And during this process, he was there, life in prison, uh, Texas. Can I tell you, Texas is hot and miserable. Doing hard labor, 100 degrees outside. His life, that was his life. Not only was it the evidence withheld, but that same court system fought for six or seven years to, 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 to not allow DNA evidence into the courtroom, for whatever reason. So after 25 years, finally, they checked the DNA, they found the guy who did it, who had done those crimes all over Texas, and Michael Morton was released from prison after serving for 25 years. Listen to me, you don't get those years back. They're gone. While in prison, he came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And it changed him. And when he was released, the prosecutor, who is now a judge, was put on trial. And when they were going to sentence that prosecutor slash judge, Michael Morton sat in the uh, the chair talking to the judge and said, Judge, I don't know how this all works as far as the legal aspect, but I ask you to be gentle with Judge Anderson. The man who railroaded him lost his wife, his son, and 25 years of his life. And in this documentary, it's not a Christian, it was, it was done by Netflix. They interview him at the very end and they say, what have you learned from this? So I've learned three things. There is a God. He is all wise. And he loves me. And then he says, so what's your problem? So what's your problem? My friend, it is time to destroy the list that you keep, whether it's paper or in your head. It is time to forgive and choose not to hold that against them anymore. And it's time to make peace with others as much as possible. And this morning, I'm asking my brothers and sisters to believe three simple things. Believe the word of God. Believe what Jesus said. You don't know the end from the beginning. You're not smart enough. 
And I, you don't understand. I, I, you don't know. There's no caveat. There's no exemption. There's no proviso. Christ said, let all bitterness and wrath get rid of it. Believe the words of Christ. Believe the wonder of your forgiveness. It's got to start here. But they don't deserve. No, they don't. Nor do you. It's called mercy. And believe the God of heaven. His justice will prevail. And so this morning, listen to me. Bitterness, it will destroy you. And you can be bitter and let that root go deep and bear fruit and destroy everyone around you, yourself included. Or you can be better and believe the words of Christ. Glory in the wonder of forgiveness. And trust God to do that which is right. Said a word of prayer this morning.